Yes. It, it is a little gathering of nations this morning, and already here, right, in San Diego County, in this part of San Diego County, but even more, this is really cool. And like, I got to say this, though, this is pretty cool yesterday. So when we met, we got to meet the chairman of the San Pasquale Reservation, we got to go to like the equivalent of the White House, which is pretty cool, didn't expect that. And he's describing how like, he knew a lot about, oh, he had Irish blood in him. He's like, man, Irish, the Irish people are just tribal. You know, tribal. And so like Jamie just said, she she doesn't look native, but she is. And I think I'm going to claim the same thing because on my dad's side, I'm very Irish. So <laughs> this skin color doesn't really match the way that I, I jive usually. Gunner jokes that I'm the whitest black guy he's ever met. So because you'll know I like lowered rides and hip hop. So anyways, but yeah, thank you guys. And two of them are going to share in just a minute here. Um, next slide, please. I'm just going to do a little introduction, and this really does connect to the message in a little bit here. Um, what we're seeing at IVC is so, I think, what Paul was envisioning um, so many years ago. And the next slide, my family, the kids are in here. So I have five, uh, four girls and a boy. My boy is here, Micah, my firstborn, my one and only son. Yes, carrying the, the Manning name. And then four girls. We have a little girl's dorm, and they're, are they all back in class, okay, and hiding my wife, beautiful wife, so so glad we're all here. So IBC, um, some people say, what in the world is there a Native American Bible college for? Like, why is that a need? What is the purpose? And I think that's been something the Lord has taught us um, by throwing us right in the middle of it in the Southwest, and I think it's in more places than not where Native America really is the epitome of the hidden um, the hidden cultures, the, the hidden peoples of, of the world. And actually, ironically, when we were in Mongolia, we had minorities there as well. The Kazakh people, which were, a couple of them were some of our best friends there, were outcasts um, in comparison to Mongolians, and they did, not, they did not mix. China is the same way. There's a lot of ethnic minorities there, and the majority culture pushes them out, and there's not a lot of not a lot of interaction and a lot of oppression. So there, it's kind of a consistent trend, and we saw it over there. And nonetheless, in the United States and North America, that is a part of our history. So there is a huge need historically, but even culturally, the fact that there's so much in our backyard, like a little Samaria, like uh, Jesus says in Acts one eight, that we're to go from Jerusalem to then Judea and Samaria, their back door, their neighbors, there were differences with the Samaritans. They were mixed breeds and looked down on, and, and yet they were right next door. And there was just as much of a need to reach into their lives and to see them carry on the work that the, the very apostles were doing themselves. So there's a huge need. We've read numbers like 5% of Native America is, is professing Christ, and actually that number has dropped. It was much higher years ago, I, sadly, that the younger generation is falling away. And so there's a huge need, and not just to reach them, but to let them reach their own people and to lead their own people so that we're not always doing it for them, but actually partnering. I'm so blessed. I feel like this in Mongolia and at IVC. I'm the dean of men and a faculty member, but as much as I might teach, I feel like I constantly am learning and and am in just as much of a classroom as my students are, and I, I'm so blessed by that. I'm so blessed to be the minority at IBC. I learn a lot by thinking a different way and seeing God's word in a, in a way that I think he wants me to see it more and more. So part of the, part of the difference and the uniqueness then of IBC is to meet this need of, wow, we need to build a, a strong native indigenous church throughout North America, but that happens by building strong leaders, and that's what that was what Paul was about, and that's what we're trying to be about more and more in a relevant way biblically and culturally. So one of those things is by not just filling heads as much as we need to fill our heads with the right stuff, with the truth, but it's got to transform our hearts. And so I want a couple of the students to come up now and share about their experience, not about IVC, like it's promo week for IVC, we say, but it's like it's so promo in Christ. It just happens to be that he is elevated IVC just like he is here at Grace Point and other places. So, Jamie, would you come up and share? Good morning. So I'll just give you a brief background um, of myself and then kind of talk about IBC because, like Fred was talking in the earlier service, um, 
it's not IBC that has changed me, but the Lord has really used IBC. So um, I actually grew up in an alcoholic home. Both of my parents were alcoholics. And, um, well, this is what, okay, let me rephrase this. This is kind of what brought me to IBC, so it is a brief background. But anyway, um, I actually have been around a lot of death all my life. I've been to many, many funeral services of a lot of young people and also older people. Um, there was actually one time I counted, and it's been over 40 funerals that I have been to myself. And because it's on the reservation, it's the res I'm, that I am from is really small, so we all pretty much know each other. It's a very small community. Um, there's been a lot of suicides from where I'm from uh, since 2008. There's been at least, there was 11, but I think there was two more that happened since I've been gone So um, in Arizona. So there's been a lot of suicides that have happened in my community. Um, I myself have been through an addiction, drugs and alcohol. I was in and out of jail a lot. And um, I also went to a treatment center in 2009. So in 2009, it was 2009, 2010, I don't remember the exact um, month or anything, but it was at that time that um, I accepted Christ into my life. And um, I remember the last few times that I was in jail, I kept thinking, like, there had to be something different in, in, instead of the way I was living because it was, um, yeah, I'll get into more of that later at the end because that's where IBC has helped a lot. Um, and even though I received Christ in treatment, I didn't straighten up right away. I didn't um, walk with the Lord um, the way I probably should have, but that's okay. And uh, it took me two years to finally straighten up, and now I've been clean and sober for almost five years. It'll be five years in September that I've been clean and sober. Um, but there, I found out about IBC by actually going to this leadership conference for Native people, um, young Native people between the ages of 15 and 35, I believe. And at that leadership conference, they had a booth for IBC there. And so I remember thinking, like, yeah, that's, a, that's cool. But I never really honestly thought I would leave the res. I never thought beyond that. Um, the biggest city from the res um, is the city of Spokane. So it's the Spokane Tribe, Spokane Reservation that I'm from. But the city of Spokane is about an hour away where all the, the mall and that kind of thing is at. Um, but anyway, so at that leadership conference, I thought, hey, that's a cool idea. But like I said, I didn't think I would leave. And so um, throughout the year into 2015, I feel like the, there was just like this spiritual restlessness that was going on. Like I wanted to know more, more about Christ. I wanted Christian friends. Um, I don't have that on the res. I'm the youngest, the only Native believer, young Native person that is a believer and follower of Christ. There's not any young people. There's no young men that are, are believers um, I, I'm the only young native believer on my res. So, um, I feel like because of the spiritual restlessness, because of all the suicides, all this hopelessness that I've lived through and seen in different families on the res, that that drove me to want to, um, know more about Christ, to be able to go back home and to be a light for my own people. Um, <clears throat> so that's when Jason, actually the, the president of IBC visited the church that I go to. The church that I go to at home is actually not on the res. It's like a half a mile off, <laughs> so it's like really close. But uh, he visited our church, and he was talking about IBC. And I remember sitting in the audience, and like everything he was saying about IBC, I'm like, man, I got to go there. I got to be there. And I wanted to start it start as soon as possible, but I actually couldn't start until the fall because he visited in January, I believe. So anyway, all of that, I feel like, brought me to IBC. And when I actually was confirming... Um, my plane ticket and my shuttle ticket to go from Phoenix to Flagstaff. Um, I was on the computer. I was at my job, and I was—I had my hand on the mouse, and I'm like, dang, once I click this, like, this is for real. I'm really going to leave home, and I'm going to go to Arizona. And it was weird because I was, like, looking at the computer screen. It was, like, a long time before I actually confirmed the ticket, you know? And this is a hard part, but <clears throat> actually a few hours later... A few hours later, uh, like three to five hours later, I went home, I got off work, and I actually, um, I watched my dad die, um, actually right in front of me. Um, And so that was really weird. Like, I really put a lot of prayer in, um, 
I really trusted God with the decision to go to IBC. And for that to happen, that was actually 10 days before I left to go to IBC. It's about two weeks um, before I, I was going to go to IBC that happened. And I didn't really understand it. I wasn't mad at God, but I just really thought it was really wild that that happened. And I still don't understand why. But um, anyway, I made it to IBC. I still went. <laughs> Thank you. I still went to IBC because I figured that as much prayer and I was totally trusting God with it, that that was what he wanted me to do despite the fact that my dad passed away. So how God has used IBC in my life, it's really, really wild. And I'm very thankful that Jason ended up visiting my church um, in Washington. But since I've been here, it's been... um, just very, my heart, I found out actually how many heart issues I have. Um, A lot of bitterness, um, anger, jealousy, um, just pains of my past that show up in these current healthy relationships. Um, Because at home I didn't experience healthy, healthy relationships, healthy, um, anything healthy was not modeled to me. So to be in a healthy community, which is IBC, and to have these ugly things pop up, was really, really interesting to me because I'm like, I couldn't hide it. Because IBC is so small, it's hard to hide. It's like your heart issues come out. Like, it comes out in behavior. It comes out in attitude. And it's just, it's really wild. So I've learned a lot about myself in that way. Um, Because before IBC, I was trying to be a Christian, like, on my own. Um, I had my pastor and his wife who really... um, were really supportive and, and encouraging. Encourage, is that how you say that? They were an encouragement to me in my Christian walk, but I didn't have anybody like showing me what to do, um, how to do Bible study, like these different things. I didn't know how to really do that, um, but I was trying on my own. So at IBC, I really learned um, about my identity in Christ. And I remember when I first became a Christian, that was my prayer. I would like ask the Lord to help me um, know what my identity is in him. And I really honestly didn't know what that meant, but I would pray it. And like at IBC, I learned even more about my identity in Christ. So I have uh, my mentor. I've had a couple different mentors. And then even outside of IBC, like uh, Jason's wife, the president's wife, Sarah, she's been a real um, key person in my life since I've been at IBC. Um, There's a lot of challenging things that go along with that in being um, mentored. Challenging and encouraging things because it challenges my my old way of thinking about myself Because a big struggle of mine is being native but having white skin. I hated that I don't even understand it now that the Lord made me this way and I don't know if I'll ever find out but maybe I will I don't know (laughs) but um, What else there was this mending the soul program that they have at IBC and it's in it's abuse recovery and there's five different types of abuse that I learned about and have experienced in my life that I didn't even realize until coming to IBC. And when I, there's a chapter where we have to name our abuse. And that is really interesting to me because I never looked at the things in my life as abuse. So that was a really um, eye-opening um, experience, too, is going through the Mending the Soul program. Um, More recently, the biggest thing, I think, um, about my identity is the lies I believe about God, others, and myself. And my mentor actually is, this is very hard for me, but she's having me, um, she always takes me back to the Word of God, though. She's always bringing it back to the Word of God, which I really like. And um, so the lies I believe about myself, even as a Christian person, so before Christ, I struggled with my identity But even as a Christian person, I struggle with my identity. And um, being Native, like I said, and having white skin, I just don't understand it. And I get really frustrated with God. And I know that the Bible talks about um, the Lord doesn't make mistakes. And, like, she's having me do Psalm, Psalm, I don't know where it's at, I forgot. But about the Lord, um, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, you know. And for me as a Christian, I should believe that, right? But I struggle with that, and so she's challenging me in my thinking and using that as an affirmation and putting, I don't know how to describe this, um, just challenging my way of thinking with the word of God because I believe in God, but do I believe him at his word? 
And so that's where she's helping me um, and guiding me to. And that's been very, very, very challenging and uncomfortable. uncomfortable. But um, she's having me look in the mirror and say the, this affirmation with that, the psalm verse. And um, I keep doing it. It's uncomfortable, but it's like I want to grow in my faith. I want to grow. I want to believe God. I want him to heal me from the lies that I believe about him, about myself, and about others. And so that's where my mentor, Corrine, has been very, very, very helpful in my life. And I look back, and if I did not come to IBC, I would have not learned any of those things about myself. I don't know if I ever would have. So I'm really thankful to be here. I'm thankful for the staff. Like, all of the staff are really, really cool people. Messed up, too, just like all of us. But they're cool. They're cool. But that's all I have. Yes, messed up. That's right. That's right. Amen to that, sister. Good. Thank you so much. And I just, well, yeah, just the, the community that is there at IBC, I think, is, is exciting. And, I, and I, we're praying that the, the church that these students take and become with others is a dynamic they don't lose, the community, the relational dynamic that is so key. And so I'm very thankful. Thanks, Jamie, for sharing what you did. Um, just one more slide, just as we finish this part of it. Um, my brother Barlow, Below, if you come up, from Z-Town, from Zuni, Pueblo. The other aspect that I, I just love um, that we are more and more about is seeing Native America cease to just be a mission field but become more of a force in mission like we'd want to see anywhere and everywhere. And I think that has been a thrill talking with students, praying with them about what is next and how there is going to be impact among their own people, but also the world. We saw that overseas in Mongolia, China. There are doors open to Native American believers that would never be open to me. In fact, that was probably one of the issues about staying where we were for us. So we are excited to see these guys equipped to go and do what some of us can't even do. And uh, yeah, I'm excited. So Barlow, could you come up and... Hello, good morning. Um, as we said like three or four times now, my name's Barlow. <laughs> um, and uh, like I said, I'm from the Zuni tribe, Pueblo tribe in there in uh, Mexico. And uh, today I'll just give you like the same thing as Jamie, just a little brief testimony background and I'll tell what IBC has been doing in my life. So for me, uh, I grew up, you know, in a more traditional slash Catholic kind of family like religion-wise, because they're down in Zuni, you know, the, the Pueblo, with their tradition, it's, it's not just a religion, it's actually a way of life. So it connects so much with the people. And that's the kind of home I grew up in. We were both traditional, but they also believed, like, in the Catholic faith. So they would take me to Mass on Sundays, but the only time I would go was if I knew there would be, like, cinnamon rolls and punch afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Or if I knew my friends were going to be there, so I'll, like, try to sneak out and go. we'll go play on the playground or whatever. <laughs> but uh, for me, uh, just like I see now with, like, you know, just visiting different reservations that almost every family that out, that's out there, it's broken. Just like uh, Pastor said right here that, you know, there are broken families. And I came from a broken family myself. Um, for myself, um, it was about maybe when I was... I would say seven or ten years old, that my father left me and my older sister. Um, he still stayed in my life, but him and my mom didn't agree with everything. They kept on butting heads, so they ended up splitting. Uh, for me, he was, like I say, he was still in my life, but he just wasn't there as a father should be, I guess. Like, he supported me. He gave me money and everything. He even took me out, like, fishing a couple of times, but he just wasn't there emotionally, like, hugging me, showing me love, like saying, I'm proud of you, son, and everything. Um, so for me as a kid, you know, I, I grew up with that mentality of, well, you know, it's me, myself, and I. Because <laughs> it's funny, I, I have nothing but sisters. I have six sisters total and one, zero brothers. <laughs> so with that, I grew up like, you know, that mentality of it's me, myself, and I. I'm going to look out for myself and get my own. I don't care what no one else thinks. And a little bit from that, I picked it up from my uncle's. I kind of substituted them for my father figures, and 
they're they're good men, but not the greatest. Because <laughs> uh, with my family, you know, they're they're all alcoholics, uh, still are to this day, and I would say I lost about two uncles to alcohol. Uh, down there, and alcoholism is a major factor in Zuni Reservation, and I would say probably in other reservations as well. And uh, for me, I just took up, you know, that mentality, that that manly figure of, you know, if you're a man, you don't cry, you don't show emotions, nothing, you're just stone rock. <laughs> um, and I picked that up more from my uncles and just observing different guys around the, the Pueblo itself. And... Um, so I pretty much grew up in that kind of way, you know, focusing on my own religion, trying to be the most manly guy I could be. And it wasn't until, like, maybe about my senior year, or not my senior year, my, my junior year, or well, it was about maybe my sophomore year during the summer, <laughs> that uh, I heard of a thing called the youth group down there in Zuni. A couple of the guys on the bus, they were talking about it. They were all, yeah, man, you should come, you should come. We, we play basketball, we have fun, we play dodgeball, and we have Bible study. I was all right, all right. But in my head, all I heard was basketball, fun, and dodgeball. <laughs> so I gave it a try that night. I went in. You know, I, I saw just, you know, the interaction that they had with one another, just the kids playing and laughing. It, it really, you know, presented me like that family vibe that they do actually care for one another and they do love each other. <clears throat> and there, um, that's when I met uh, one of my great mentors to this day. And he's actually a father figure to me now. He's the one who actually brought me to Christ. He's the youth pastor, Roger Scarborough. And through him, I seen, you know, the actually the fatherly love that all of us get from God. You know, just the un, unbinding grace that each and every one of us get. And it was, it was truly amazing just seeing it, how God worked through him to show me that love. And uh, it was also through him that I heard about IBC. Um, so come about my senior year, you know, every senior makes that, that decision, you know, what, what's your career, where are you going to go? And my original plan was that I was going to go uh, to a college in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and there I was going to get associates in criminal justice. And from there I was planning on going to law enforcement somewhere around that area. But God had other plans for me, and he actually used my mother and my own pride to deny me from that, to lead me to IBC. So the first time was him using my mother. So I had everything set. I, I applied to the school and everything, had a good scholarships. All I needed to do was go over there to res- res- ah, res- registration. <laughs> And uh, just do the orientation. So I got there, and then my mom, she convinced me, you know, to just stay home. I thought over, I was like, yeah, that's probably best. So I stayed home. I ended up going to a local college down there. And from there, I gave, like, maybe a week full of class. Didn't really fill it, so I dropped out and got a job instead. But during that time, you know, I was still going to youth group. And Roger, our youth pastor, he seen kind of like leadership within me. And he actually promoted me leadership among the youth group to actually lead the the games. You know, uh, my job was we're going to play, you know, dodgeball. We're going to play basketball. Here's the teams. Here's the rows. We're going to do this. So, I don't know, just doing that throughout the whole summer, it gave me that passion within, you know, just to work with the kids themselves because I could relate so much with them, you know, coming from a broken home myself. I could see, you know, the things that they're going to through as well. You know, the abuse and the just the broken families that they all come from. And so it came in my heart that, you know, if I am wanting working with the youth and I do want to do this, I might as well get educated about it, and especially in my Bible. And that's when IBC came about. So I applied there, and I went there with a whole mindset of that, all right, I'm going to get my degree four years, and I'm done, I'm out. <laughs> but, and uh, was I wrong? Because... IBC, I would say they really broke me down for the better. You know, they're they're tearing my heart, but rebuilding it back to the way it should be. <clears throat> there, um, I love the whole family community community aspect. You know, 
amongst uh, all the brothers and sisters down there, especially among like, like the students. Uh, we connect in different ways. We have different groups over the whole week uh, that ways we could interact with one another. And um, just the interaction also with like the teachers, you know, they're not, they're not just teachers there. They're actually, you know, mentors. They could become parent, parent parental figures to you, however you say it. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's just like Jamie said, you know, the community is so small that you can't really keep secrets. And I love it best, especially amongst the, the men. Uh, about once a week, we have our, our dorm meeting. And I would say that's probably the, <clears throat> the most times that, you know, I shed tears or other guys have uh, shared tears with, <clears throat> with uh, each other. And it's, it's just incredible, you know, just to embrace that and just to see that. Uh, good golly man, just, you know, sharing their pains, their weaknesses, and just crying out to God and praying with one another. <clears throat> and uh, one thing that I see that IBC is doing, you know, is they're, they're truly embracing John 17 with uh, Jesus' prayer, you know, through unity with one another, others will see his love. And <laughs> don't get me wrong, it's it's hard at times, you know, just living in community with other guys. You know, we it's a bunch of bulls in one house, and we all butt heads at times. <laughs> but overall, I like it, and it's great. And I just want to thank you guys just for, you know, supporting Josh. Because for me, you know, trusting other people with my secrets is pretty hard. And I'm glad to say that he's one of the, the one of the guys in my life that, you know, I could run to, I could go to. If, you know, I'm struggling or I need advice or anything. And uh, for future plans, you know, I once I'm done with this, I, I still hope to go, you know, go back to the Zuni reservation and become the youth leader there. But on top of that, even though I got denied twice, I'm still hoping maybe the third time I'll, the Lord, if Lord willing, I'll be able to go uh, for my associates in criminal justice and proceed as a bivocational police officer. <laughs> Yeah, so that's all I have, and thank you for your time. Wow, that is super powerful. I love that the testimonies, all four of them today, it so goes beyond IBC. Like, that is just one piece in the puzzle, and I think it's so awesome to remember. I know Roger, the guy that Barla was talking about, and yeah, God was working, and amazing ways, um, transformational ways, way before IVC ever came along for Barlow and the others, and for me too. But in this phase in our life, this is where we are, and I praise God for that. And I, I think that leads me into this time of looking at the Word, because I, I feel like as we went to Mongolia years ago and Native America now, it's caused us to rethink what ministry looks like. Um, what I mean by that is we've seen that the need for ministry is the same everywhere, but the way that that need is met changes based on the context. It's not always the same. The function stays the same, what we're supposed to do with God's word, with God himself, but how we do it drastically changes based on the context, and praise him for that because each of us in this room are a different context for his work to take place. So would you turn with me, if you're not already there, to First Thessalonians chapter 1. Starting in verse 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. <clears throat> for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God 
and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ, who delivers us from the wrath to come. I think as we read this, what came to mind was a template or a model. I do a weekly report every week at school. Weekly report every week. Go figure. Um, I do, and they're really, that's how important they are, I guess. The template, the layout is the same. The, The categories that I'm filling in is the same every week. But the information that I input changes week by week by week. And that is a great, I think, for my mind, it's a great example of what ministry looks like for all of us. And what Paul is even stepping through here is that he's laying out that model. He's laying out the template of what ministry is to be about. But how it's done um, takes on a different shape and form based on where you're taking it. And that was true of the Thessalonians themselves because Paul had come from many different cultures and societies before he ever made it to Macedonia and Thessalonica. And yet, the Thessalonians had embraced this message and this team that Paul was with, unlike any other at this point. In fact, some of the characteristics of the Thessalonians are really unique. Um, This is not a, a corrective letter that Paul writes. It's very much affirmation. It's encouragement. It's because they they weren't missing it like some of the other churches, like Corinth and Galatia and, and many others that had to be corrected. They were not. They were affirmed with what they were doing. Ironically, if you look at Acts 17, Paul was only there, as far as we know, uh, for th- three weeks. He might have gone back later, but... We know he was there for only three weeks, and this kind of impact happened from Paul and Timothy and Silas. So there was this reception of what Paul was offering that was maybe unlike any other people group that Paul reached into and out to. The the word brothers in verse 4, beloved brethren, is used 15 different times, this little letter. That says a lot about Paul's heart for these people, for these new believers as he writes them from Corinth, and he uses it seven more times in the second epistle, which, again, for these little books, I think is just amazing, astounding that it's peppered with this kind of language as a love letter to these people. It shows, because of their reception again to to the ministry God was doing in them and through them, how Paul was honored and and using them as an example to these other churches in the area. And in this letter, too, Paul doesn't spend any time validating his authority, his apostleship, which is really unique. It says that they really embraced what Paul was presenting, didn't need a lot of backup. They saw, I believe, as we look at the text, they saw something different. They heard something different, but they saw it different as well. And this transcended culture, this transcended gender, it was men and women, which is really key in Acts 17, um, and also... um, probably age as well, intergenerationally as well. So just to start out, the assumption, though, in all this is Paul and his team reached into Thessalonians' lives. All this stuff that we're going to look at briefly was already happening in the church. It was already happening in Jerusalem. was already happening in other churches, Philippi most likely. But nonetheless, this was something that the team, Paul, Timothy, and Silas, as well as the other believers on that team, they were already functioning in this way. This was not a new thing. They didn't just offer a program and tell, tell the how-to. They were already doing it themselves. And I think it's so true. A, a strong church is ascending church, but ascending church has got to be a strong f- church first. And I think that is what w- one thing, at least, that we can see in this is that this was already in operation within the church context. This was not a new thing, and it just spreads it spreads like a good plague um, throughout, <clears throat> throughout this region of Macedonia. So look at verse um, 5. This is very much the key center of this, this uh, section of 1 Thessalonians, in my mind at least. Um, there's three things that Paul and his team brought to the Thessalonians that they received. The first one, let's just read the, read the first part here of verse 5 again. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. In that first part, um, verse 5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only. Go to uh, chapter 2, verse 13. It says, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received, Thessalonians, the word of God, 
which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Interesting, it started before they came to Christ, this work of the word of God, but it continued as believers in Christ, as disciples in Christ. The word of God, its power did not stop. So the, thing, the first thing that Paul brought and his team to the Thessalonians was the word of God. <clears throat> we can talk a lot about you know proper Bible interpretation, and that is the starting point so that it leads to relevant application. But when we step back and we really start saying, what does that look like in, in practicality? What does that look like in Josh Manning's life? Especially as I look at Native America and other places that it's so different. It's this whole, it's this whole tension between the truth of God's word and the tradition of men that might not even be bad. But the whole issue with understanding God's word is that we see it as the truth and everything else, tradition, even church tradition, it fits into that box of truth. And if there is not consistency and coherency, we get rid of our tradition. And that's the same for Native Americans, for Westerners, for African Americans, for Mongolians. That is the, that is the tension in Bible interpretation and in seeing that God's word trumps tradition. It trumps culture. And not to say that we lose our culture either, because obviously the Thessalonians stayed in Thessalonica. They looked Thessalonian. They, nothing says in the text that they so changed what they looked like. They remained in that context, that sphere of influence. But the thing was, God's word was the starting point. That is our building block for all of us, despite our worldview differences, our cultures, our personalities. This transcends and should impact what we're sorting through in life. And it was the same for the Thessalonians. <clears throat> the next part, I'm just going to go through this a little quicker. Time's running short. The next part is the power of God. So Paul brought the word of God, the power of God, in verse 5 again. It says, but also, we, we, uh, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. <clears throat> As a lot of the students mentioned, this idea of our identity in Christ trumping and being priority over our identity in life, because our our, our identity in life is pretty screwed up for all of us. Like, pardon the French, but it's none of us have it together in terms of the 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 day in and day out issues that we deal with. Our our personality, our bent, our our bent towards sin, all that is an issue. We can't rely on that identity to define who we are. We have to rely on this power through the Holy Spirit that God has given as our identity. The fact that it's based in what he's done for us and not what we do for him. And based on that, we can have and should have, like they did. The text says it. There was much assurance. There was much assurance because of this power that came from the word based on God's word that the Holy Spirit used that encouraged them and challenged them to be defined what God was saying about them rather than their culture and the people around them. So am I passionate about the position I have and the power I have in Christ and taking it to an application level even further, like, am I more passionate? Are we more passionate about the positive things that are in Christ that we share with him, that he shared with us? Or are we more passionate about being critical of our society and culture that's very lost and degenerate? I think a lot of times Christians are characterized by being caught up with the issues that don't really matter because we're so passionate about being negative rather than bringing passion about Christ into a world that desperately needs it. They don't need us to be passionate about what's wrong. I think it's more passionate about what's right in Christ and how they can be right with God, just like we needed that same reconciliation. Do I understand my relationship with God and that motivating my relationships with other people? It starts with that relationship with him through Christ, but it, it develops and it ends ultimately in the people's lives that invest in me and I invest in as well. In fact, Paul said it in the end of the book. He says, for what is our hope and joy, or sorry, end of chapter 2, verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? It is, is it not even in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? You are our glory and joy. Thessalonians, wow. 
that relationship. But I think they knew. They knew the relationship they had with God in Christ. They knew their identity. They had assurance and power. And in that, there was passion as they went to, to the Thessalonians. And it transferred into the Thessalonians' relationships themselves. The third part in, in verse 5 <clears throat> Of chapter 1, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. <clears throat> if you've turned first to, before we talk about this just a little bit, chapter 2, verse 8, again, it kind of defines what this looked like. This is transformation. So, again, Paul and his team brought the word, brought the power and brought transformation. They brought the glory of God through their lives, through their words, but also through their lives. And chapter 2, verse 8 talks about that. It says, So affectionately, a longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. So there was this concept of investing, because this team was transformed from the inside out, it couldn't help but impact those that were around them. Even these people, the Thessalonians, that they couldn't relate with. They were very different. They were pagans. They were descendants of Alexander the Great in Macedonia. And so there was this need, though, and this ability through the power of God in and through them to live transformed lives. It wasn't just the transforming word of God. That was the starting point. But it had no vibrancy or power unless it transferred into transformed lives in this team that were impacting these people in Thessalonica. <clears throat> so I think the team really, they led, it sounds like they led through surprise. They lived surprising lives. I, God calls us, just like Paul called the Thessalonians and Thessalonians called the rest around them, to live like the shock factor to the world. Are we blessing the cultures God has placed us in or are we bucking them? Are we looking into them so much to meet their need or are we caught up with some of the things that might offend us or hurt us? It doesn't sound like Paul and his team were offended as much as they were burdened to reach into these lives. They were more of a blessing, I think, to the Macedonian culture. As pagan as it was, they were a blessing to it in, instead of the typical trashing that I think every person is susceptible to. In fact, I've just recently been reading on the early church, the first 300 years, and it's amazing how how the early church was characterized by by being this dynamic in these cultures that were very pagan nothing judeo-christian about them but they were the ones that were reaching out to the orphans they were the ones reaching into the leper communities the 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 uh, moravian missions movement in the 18th century same thing they they packed their stuff in coffins knowing that there was a good chance they wouldn't come back and i don't think that was for self gratification it was because they knew they were going into places that they were willing to sacrifice to share this transforming life of Jesus Christ. Are we thinking in those same terms? Do we share it in our words? Do we share life through our words and our deeds, our life? Are we blessing? Are we challenging our cultures through love and compassion and tenderness? Because that's the characteristic, like in chapter 2, that the Thessalonians experienced way before they came to Christ as believers, they experienced in those three weeks, they somehow experienced that kind of loving care by people they couldn't relate with religiously or culturally necessarily. That's a huge, it's a huge example for us to follow. And that relates to all of us cross-culturally, intergenerationally. This, this is the standard. This is the template, I believe, that God is giving the church for ministry. And, it, and again, it takes on a different shape and form based on where it is. Thessalonica did not have the same response as Philippi or Berea or Jerusalem had. It was all very different, just like today. It's going to be different at Flagstaff and Valley Center, um, Mongolia, wherever you, you fill in the blank. But the need for the core issue of what ministry is, that does not change. Just in closing this out, um, looking at that idea of transformed lives again, Supernaturally transformed lives is Paul's and God's only measurement of ministry success. It's not material wealth. It's not status. It's not as much as we'd like to grow as Indian Bible College. It can't be, can't be our campus. Um, it can't be our facilities. It can't even be our staff. 
even at, at church, same thing. It, the, the measurement of success is not in those physical things that we so easily connect value to. It is in these transformed lives because the Thessalonians were Paul's joy and glory in the end. That's where it's at. Not just in my transformed life, but am I passing it on again and again? And is it reproducing itself over and over again? In fact, that's what Paul says in verse 6. He says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. Go to Acts 17. The context is they, there was a lot of persecution in Macedonia specifically, and that's where they received the gospel with joy. This example that this team had, it wasn't because it was so comfortable. They were responding because this is a work of God, and it was above and beyond what was circumstantially um, what was circumstantially made sense. It went way above that. It went to God's empowering and his, his enabling in the face of conflict. He didn't remove it. He said, I'll provide for you in it. And the Thessalonians got it so much that he says, you're followers of us so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. That's all the way over in Corinth. That's the next province over. They had echoed forth their example. So not only was it just that they got the transformational life that Paul and his team had, they took it and ran with it. They were being dependent on it, and it was their life source. As They didn't even go to Corinth, as far as we know. It was just through word. And yet it was understood the Thessalonians were that kind of example. They had received the word, they had received the power of God in Christ, and they had received this transformational life that had been passed on through other believers, through other human lives, which is... Phenomenal, phenomenal that that's how it works, that God somehow is able to transcend all of our differences and our uniquenesses, and he gives us the same truth, the same grace to carry on and to extend to the world and to each other, right? It happens here first. It happens in the house and among the body of Christ, and then the world will see it like like, uh, Barlow said. Paul's measuring stick for success proves just how supernatural and counterculture transformation truly is. Look at what he says in verse 3 specifically. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. If you go to 9 and 10, we won't read it again, but that fleshes out what he's talking about here. What does the work of faith, labor of love, and endurance of hope look like? It's verse 9 and 10. But what a supernatural act. What, a, what an amazing proof that this was not just, um, not just that they were standing above and beyond the culture by not committing adultery or murdering, or you, you name those big and bad sins. This is love. <laughs> this is love and faith and hope. These are like core issues that transform even even how we relate to unbelievers and each other in areas like telling the truth or cheating or bitterness. Are we that concerned as well with those little sins as we were as we are with some of those bigger sins? I think those areas of um, um, excuse me, faith, hope and love, like First Corinthians thirteen talks about, those are those are transcending everything. Big sin issues and little sin issues. This is what characterized these people though. Amazing, amazing, amazing. If that's not proof that this has got to be God's work, though, and it's not just some show that I put on, I don't know what does. Interesting, too, that is, I believe, talking about the believers of Thessalonica, not when they were um, initially in contact with Paul, but after they received the gospel, after they were believers, they had this, this work of faith and labor of love and endurance of hope. That's what characterized them. Is that what characterizes us? Is that what the world will see? Again, even in the marketplace, even in the workplace, among us, the believers in Christ, do we see all these areas of life being peppered with love and faith and hope? So to sum it up, this is our takeaway, if you would. This is what I'm taking away from it. Biblical ministry is simple yet impossible. It's simply impossible. To do it God's way, it might be like, this is like basic, manning, like what's the big deal? Like we've heard all that before. The thing is, if we think about how amazing that is, it is totally dependent on the supernatural. It is, there's nothing natural about a work of faith, labor of love, 
and endurance of hope. That's hanging in there and not giving up. That's giving up on my plans, my comforts, and embracing his plans and his calling. That's not, that's not my normal way of doing it. That's very, very counter Josh Manning. That's very counter culture. So it's simple. This, this ministry plan model is simple, but it's impossible on our own. We are all asked to participate in his supernatural work that he desires to do in us, through us, and as us. Which again, that has been such an amazing thing to see that it's his work in my brothers and sisters at IVC and my family, my kids, my wife, you all hear it's his work in us, through us, but as us. He's not asking me as much as I want to become native or someone else. He's not asking for his power to work in me and through me as someone else. He's asking it to come through Josh Manning. And it's the same for all of us. And that should, that should break open the, the floodgates of opportunity for ministry. Because now ministry isn't bound by a box. It's not bound by a form. It's actually the, the purpose that God is all about. He wants it to come out through each and every one of us in a very specific way. Praise God for the Thessalonians and for the work that God did in and through them and that we carry on ourselves. Thank you for this opportunity and hanging in there and just blessing all of us to listen and um, just share and what God's doing. Like He really is doing some awesome stuff, guys. We just are so thankful for his, for his awesome work. So can I just pray? Lord, thank you for your work. Thank you that your work is there and it's happening and you want us to be a part. You want us to participate. Lord, thank you for not leaving us on our own, that there's just as much grace in saving us as there is in sanctifying us. Lord, we need it desperately. Thank you that you've taught my heart and our hearts in the differences we see in each other, Lord, how you can transcend those differences because you call us to that kind of transformation being biblical and relational, being transformational, Lord, wow, thank you for giving us that opportunity. That is only because of you, not because of us. Help us to live out of who we are in your eyes, not becoming some, someone that we are not, but being who you have called us to be in Christ. We just love you, Lord. Thank you for loving us more than we could possibly imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.